I'm going to pull up the uh, Dungeon Master's Guide, Making a Race. Oh, really? I took a look at that earlier. It's worthless. Okay. So but, what are we going to do for Making a Race? You said it make works. it a 5e race. Okay. So I was like, I was like, all right, this is a bold new direction. I'll let him, I'll, you know, if this is how this is, you know, look, I love the man. If this is what he wants to do with it, like, let's do it. it it's, it, it's the right decision because the vast majority of people play 5e. Well, what did you have in mind for it? I didn't. Okay. I didn't. We got all the way here and I was like, fuck, what do we do? Yeah, that's, that's. Like this one requires more prep than we usually do. Nobody knows how to do this. I say we I say we double down on this. Okay. Doubling down. Double down, Jesse. When does that ever hurt white dudes to double down on something? Hi, everybody. You are listening to The Jaunty Mantis, a podcast of creative questions for curious gamers. My name is Jesse. I'm one of the hosts. And with me, as always, is our other host. Say hello, Maddie. Hey, how's it going? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. Just thinking about peoples and the peoples of beneath. Oh, that's right. We are continuing the series of creations without number, 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 number. Which which block are we on? We're on the fantasy block, right? And this is episode three. Now, last time we did cyberpunk, and episode part three of that was creating a cyberpunk adventure. And we didn't we didn't stick it in. The funny thing is, we didn't put it in the system that Kevin Crawford made. <laughs> we just generalized it. We made a thematic uh, template to create an adventure with it. You could really put into any rule system. And we are, what are we going to do for this one, for our fantasy one? We just said we're going to make a fantasy race, right? Yeah. And I think we needed to pick something we knew mechanics pretty well that people could talk about if we're going to do some mechanical teeth for it. So we're going to take the people we've been talking about, uh, for, and, uh, make them in 5e, like as a playable race. What would that be? 5e Dungeons and Dragons, the world's most popular role playing game. Or so they say. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's a I think that's a good choice. Five E is a game that a lot of people play. I think it's pretty simple and straightforward. I think that's one of the benefits of it. I think that's part of the genius behind it is they managed to make a very efficient, simple, straightforward version of it. Uh, and so I'm excited to get to this because. Uh, if you've listened to any of our past episodes, I barely pay attention to mechanics when it comes to 5e. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I thought we spent so much time focusing on our tattoo-headed-from-birth people, mm -hmm. uh, the children of the first created and those insidious members of the society who were the originals and therefore bad, Um I thought it'd be fun to make what does it mean to play those people mechanically on the page? Mm -hmm. So 
one of the things I think we need to do with, we need a name for these people. What oh. are they called? Because we haven't come up with one yet. Well, how does one typically name a species or a race or a group of people for a fantasy setting? You know, they're very, they're varied, right? You've got the sacred cows of fantasy of dwarf, elf, gnome, orc. And then you have stuff that is just completely out of left field. Um, you know, you've got like the war forged, you know, you have tieflings, Azimars, you know, so you've got the, the newer generation stuff, but how does anyone decide how to name anything? Are they named according to the region that they come from? Um, what what would any individual group of people call themselves in our world? Yeah, by their nation state, but that's our level of societal development. Mm -hmm. We're Americans. Yeah, we tend to think of things as American in a in an American centric mindset. These people in this world are not Americans. <laughs> They're not from the United States of America. Yeah, I don't think they have like the whole like nation state with nationalism as part of their identity. What they do have is a very deep and confusing history around who they are and what that means to be who they are. Because there's multiple versions of them, right? There's the yeah. originals and then there's the replicated versions of them that were made to copy them. And their God is the first of those created. Correct. And there's a, there's a form of ancestral worship that goes back to the, you know, warrior culture of the, of the, the heroes that fought in this prophesized end of times conflict. So we could just make up a word and have that be for them, or we could be very purposeful in naming them like yeah they... well when we were reading that fantasy section you know i think kevin crawford said most of the time it's just like the morphemes of your own own language and weird combos you wouldn't normally do mm -hmm. so you could pick a language palette um of an existing language and or you know we could just name them we went latin with the the pax osseus mm -hmm. um we could do that again. We could use something in Latin. Well, that you could. I don't know any Latin. Well, I don't know. I always get Greek and Latin confused because I don't actually know either of them. But <laughs> as the laziest option, we make a pun on uh, hema, meaning blood, because they have mm -hmm. the like scab or blood colored tattoos on their heads and call them hemans. Not this time, my friend, not this time. Although I like that. I like that. No, I, th I think that the name of their people should be, should be fractured like their identity. Like it started as something and now it's, it's ended up as something not completely different, but the name started out as one word and then has been changed a couple of times to reflect the situation like adding like an apostrophe er yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean 
I was going to say like you could call them like the scribed or the marked for their mm -hmm. tattoos. Um, well, let me ask you this then. If we, let's say, let's pretend we made up like 10 different peoples. Yeah. Would they all have names like the marked or the bankers or, you know, the lost or, you know, um, the, the downtrodden or the ascended, you know, or the gifted, would they all have names like that? Is that like, I think we need to come up with whatever the common naming, you know, paradigm is and then stick to it. Yeah, but usually, I mean, like for the level of technology we're at, usually the common naming convention is the people's name for themselves is the people, and yeah. their neighbor's name for them is the barbarians. So <laughs> this is a diff this is a lot more difficult than I thought it would be because I want it to be cool. Yeah. yeah, you know, if I like, I have designed a lot of different worlds for people to play in. Uh a lot of them have never been shown to anyone. And when I create the races in there, I usually slightly modify them off of stuff that already exists in fantasy. You know, I use like similar naming, like, like uh, a good example of this is the difference between like a D and D elf and an age of Sigmar elf. Yes. Right. Where it's like, look, we're all talking basically about the same kind of concept, but these are two totally different things. You know, they just encompass enough of the same connective tissue because that helps us play a game, right? If you, you've been playing 5e D&D &D and now you're playing Age of Sigmar and you're like, what are these guys? And you're like, they're elves. And you're like, like elves? And you're like, yes, except a lot worse <laughs> yeah you know that haughtiness now couple it with a keen desire for bloodshed to venerate their god <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah well you know you did bring up the crown tattoo the uh yeah, you brought up the broken two things in the apostrophe mm -hmm. so if i take what i think are my two best ideas not Haman's, but the the hema like the hey scree mm -hmm. hey scree Hey, okay. H E A apostrophe S C R I. Hoskri. Hoskri. Okay. I can Sounds get Sounds fantasy ish, that. right? It does. It does. The Hoskri. I mean, I was going to try to take the opposite angle just for sake of making Well, let's run that one out. Run what out? What are you talking about? You're the opposite angle. So we get all the ideas on the table. Oh, um, I was trying to think of something like I was going to try to take the tattoo on the head to be somewhat literal in the sense of a crown. Um, and then I was thinking like, um, like a monarch or, or something sworn and it's like a blood pattern or a blood symbol. And then there's a, there's a disconnect between the ones that are original and the ones that have been replicated. So I was going to call them like the blood sworn or the, uh, you know, some, something in that regard to the crown, uh, aspect of it. Like, um, Oh, the gosh, that was on the tip of my tongue and now I lost it. Uh, but something in that regard, like they all, the, their name is basically all like evocative of being Kings. Or mm -hmm. rulers you know or inheritors oh. 
of you know of of, of this culture so i don't know inheritors i like that like the blood sworn inheritors i have an idea okay this might do a little complication but if we're going to stick with 5e let's take those title things and make them as a background that's optional for a player character okay like bloodsworn and inheritor are two backgrounds common in this culture right like and they both represent the different like whether you believe you were made you're a replicated one or an original oh i think it has to do with that religious schism we created so I, this is okay we're free to disagree like any player if we ever wrote this down <laughs> or any dms free to disagree I think that a lot of the paranoia about who's an original and who's created is it's just balderdash. Like it's mm -hmm. just, it's nonsense. Oh, yeah. It's just this cultural vein. There's really, if there was, if the originals did actually look exactly like them, as their legend says, um, like there's been so many generations of interbreeding at this point that there's like no difference at all. Um, like it's just this like cultural paranoia that they have that comes from living in a benighted hellscape ruled over by the big bad of another dimension who thwarted a prophecy to create this like false afterlife. Right. So then as a racial name being called like true, the true blood or the true, that's too close to true soul, which shows I have Baldur's Gate three on the brain. As per usual. <laughs> uh, but I like the idea of making it different backgrounds of the same race. You know? Yeah. So I'm with you on that. Because both sides think they're the 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 children of the create the first created. Mm-hmm. But the, they say, like, oh, those blood sworn, they're the originals. And they're like, no, the inheritors, they're the originals. I mean, you could just say their name is, well, what was the one you, what, remind me what you said earlier? The Hey Scree? Yeah. You could say the Hey Scree. In their language, it means the crown of cunning. Okay. Right. And the crown of cunning is a very specific sim like pattern on their heads it's like the pattern and all patterns are are variations of this like idyllic pattern or or formation on the head does that make any sense yeah so the haskri which in their native tongue means the crown of cunning which is the thing they all aspire to it's the star for the star-bellied sneeches <laughs> okay cool so um I, I think the next step now that we've got a name for them we know a lot about their culture from rolling it up in the previous session mm -hmm. um in the current edition since what was it monsters of the multiverse or whatever they're just moving away with a racial inherent ability modifier now i think it's everybody gets to pick something that's you know, plus two, plus one. I say we just have a suggestion, mm -hmm. suggested bonus. And I think going from our cultural traits with as much as their culture values, like charm and seduction, I think they should get a charisma bonus. Mm -hmm. 
Like they should get yeah. plus two to charisma, and because they're bigger than their neighbors and tough, they should get a plus one to con. Fair enough. Yeah, that works. I was going to also say that you could make it it's because it's different. It's been fractional. It, it's been fractured in many different ways. You could say kind of piggybacking off of what you said or yes, ending what you just said, like it is, a, it's, it's more than just a suggestion. It's like, this is, this is the out of the box one, but because it's a fractured people, there are many different varieties. Yeah. Yep. And so you could, you could essentially, if we really wanted to, I'm not saying we do tonight, but if you really wanted to, you could dig e into each variety based on these other things, or you could invite the person to be like, make up your own, you know, to give them more buy-in. Here is the most popular, most recognized type of the, these people. Uh, if you want to make your own, here's how to do it. Use a different set of ability scores. But this is how the rest of the world perceives these people. You know, like the way that we all perceive each other in the world. You know what I mean? Like I deal with a lot of people from all over the world in my job. And everybody has a viewpoint of everybody else from their respective countries. And I'm like, you guys couldn't be more wrong. <laughs> like <laughs> these generic interpretations we all have of people from, I don't know, France. Like you'll find a varied group of different French people, but I'm sure there is a French identity and there's a stereotype, right? That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the web of hate. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So next we, uh, let's talk about how they age. Standard human style, or do we want to do something weird because this is a world underneath a giant skull? Yeah. They age in reverse. I think they age the same as dwarves. Okay. So they live about 300 to 400 years. Yeah. Okay. Do they mature at the same rate as dwarves or do they mature slower? I think they mature at the same rate of dwarves. Okay. Wait, well, how long is a dwarven childhood? I should know this having made that grudge-based holiday, but... <laughs> I think it's all really been hand-waved in 5e to be like, everybody matures at the same rate. Which, that is the first thing I would change about a fantasy role-playing game. Yeah, I think these these people are a little longer lived than humans. They age at this and mature at the same rate as dwarves do in standard fifth edition. Okay. And then size their medium. Mm-hmm. What kind of cool shit are they gonna get? So this is where I wanted to get crazy. All right. I think we should go with one resistance. Do you know the resistance tiers? No. Like the most common are like fire damage, cold damage, lightning damage. So if it's really, really common, um, it's, you know, going to be, uh, it's worth a lot more to have a resistance to a common damage type. But then when you get into other damage types that are less, much less common, like 
uh, psychic damage or necrotic or radiant, mm-hmm. like resistant to radiant damage is usually useless. Uh, necrotic can be a little bit more useful. I think these people are sort of like infused with death because of the world. And so I think they have resistance to necrotic damage. I could also, I love that. And I could also make an argument for a resistance to psychic damage or at least a bonus against mind controlling effects. Okay. Like these are people whose identity has constantly been in question. And so for some reason in my head that gives them some sort of mental fortitude. Like I know who I am. Okay. You know, like I have a mental resi- resilience of some kind. I'm not saying it has to be a resistance. No, it's it's easy if we do a resistance to psychic damage. Okay. Um and then we can skip the necrotic thing because I just want them to have one resistance because I also think we should give them a cantrip just because I think it's cool okay. if everybody can toll the dead. <laughs> and what is told the dead? I know what it is, but say it out loud. Uh, it's you make the ringing of a sonorous bell and it does like 1d6 hit points, I think, unless the person's taken damage and then it does like 1d12. Gotcha. Okay. I dig. Yep. Yep. Uh, so yeah, you can do this, uh, that's a cantrip. So at will. Okay. I mean, if you're playing Baldur's Gate 3, cantrips are awesome. If you're playing, if you're playing regular playing... D&D, cantrips are awesome. Oh, I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I struggle. I struggle keeping interested in 5e. I'm sorry. <laughs> If it hadn't been for Baldur's Gate 3, I probably would have rejected this idea of making this race in 5e. Anyway, okay. So, if I'm sure a lot of people, especially our listeners, would think, hey, I'd love to make my own race in 5e. I wonder if there's a guide for that. Because then the DMG, it's hilariously inept at helping you do that. And yeah. when you look online, most websites are also hilariously inept or just like way grossly overpowered or underpowered. And most what? of them will tell you to look at the other races and use that as a guideline for how to come up with, you know, racial traits. Yeah. Giving them a damaging cantrip might be a little bit on the power scale thing oh how so i don't know they just can all like at will hurt people with making bells (laughs) dolorous bells ring i think when you try to design something and you try to figure out whether it's overpowered or not you and this is going to seem a little obvious here people so bear with me first you have to picture what is the style of the game And Jesse will say, well, what do you get awarded experience for doing? 5e, you get awarded experience for killing shit, right? And one of the problems that D&D in general suffers from is when everything on your character sheet is a hammer, then everything in the world you're playing in looks like a nail, you know? So it's like, 
everything your character does is basically around killing and hurting and damaging people for the most part. So having a spell that can damage people is very, is a very powerful racial racial feature, even if it's a cantrip, but it depends on how many qualifiers it has on it. Right? So it is a cantrip. So it it's not it's not meant to be a powerful spell in the sense that it's not like a fifth level spell or a first level spell or a third level spell in comparison. So that's qualifier number one. Other qualifiers would be like, does it require a saving throw? And if it does, does it deal half damage? Right? And then are there any other uh, effects from it? Like, does it knock someone prone or temporarily blind someone or whatever? And then the other thing you have to compare it against is like, if a fighter takes the, if you're playing a fighter and you play this race, is this cantrip useful to you? Or would you rather just shoot a motherfucker with a crossbow? Yeah. By third level, you'd rather hit somebody with your sword multiple times. Right. So you have to kind of think of it like that when you design races for D and D is like, how useful is this going to be to how many different uh, different combinations you could do, right? So if there's a character class that doesn't get a lot of like damaging, useful cantrips as a spellcaster. So here's the thing: the majority of all classes in Five E are spell class spellcasters. I'm not just talking about the character core classes; I'm talking about also the subclasses. That is a huge shift in D and D over the years. Is it's just gone way more towards casters. So the idea of adding a cantrip makes it that much more useful because it has a wider group that it can apply to. So then you have to think of it like which casters would benefit from this specifically, right? Yeah, it's just kind of after first level, it just kind of becomes flavor. Okay, which is fine. If you want to use it for flavor, that's totally fine. If you want it to be played... You need to make it useful. <laughs> I kid, I kid. Come on, come on. What is this fucking thing called again? I'm trying to look it up on D&D Beyond. Told the, the Dead. People still play dwarves and nobody gives a shit about stone cunning. Yeah, that's true. Told the Dead under spells. You point at one creature you can see within range and the range is 60 feet. And the sound of a dolorous bell fills the air around it for a moment. The target must succeed on a wisdom saving throw or take 1d8 necrotic damage. If the target is missing any of its hit points, it instead takes 1d12 necrotic damage. And then the spell's damage increases as you level up. Now here's what's useful about this. Okay. Wisdom save. That's the save that's used. So if you're fighting something like something really stupid or unwise, and then you just told me that necrotic resistance is not very popular. Yeah, it's usually just something the undead have. Okay. So it's necrotic damage. So a large portion of monsters that you fight or adversaries you fight will not have resistance to this. So it is another tool in the toolbox for any caster, right? If you're 
Cantrip is Firebolt. Fire resistance is very common. This is going to potentially be useful to you. Yep. So I think it I think it I think it could be very useful. I think if you're in a group of people who are used to like planning out every stage of their character, I don't think this is going to matter. You know, I think if you're I think if you have somebody who's like I've got my whole build planned out. It's four levels of warlock, two levels of cleric, six levels of this. I don't think this. I don't think this spell is going to matter at all. Cool. But for then I someone think it's like balanced. me, okay, cool. There you go. Perfect. Okay, so we've got the Hayskier or Hayskree, um, and they age the same rate as dwarves. Uh, we suggest a plus two charisma, plus one con, but you're free to use the current rules of the game. Their movement speed is 30 feet. They don't have any weird vision. They see like normal people. Uh, they have resistance to psychic damage and can use toll the dead. Let's say based off charisma. Sure. Yeah. Like force, force a personality thing. It's what their society is important. Yeah. I don't think so, we're done yet though. We're not. No, if you look at like Astral Elf, they got a ton of shit they can do. Look well, we this. gave them a damage resistance and a cantrip. If you look at the Eladrin and the DMG. <laughs> this thing, the Astral Elf has Astral Fire, Dark Vision, Fey Ancestry, Keen Senses, Starlight Step, and Astral Trance. Shit, I gotta play one of those. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a sub race of an existing, you know, of a, a, a of elf being the prime race. So I think you need to do more, buddy. Okay. Uh oh yeah, language is common. I don't know that we need to. Okay, let me look up Astral Elf. I was gonna jump onto making the backgrounds. You could make a proficiency. You could give them a proficiency and a skill. They get the normal ability increases. Common in one other language. If they're, if they're charisma, if charisma is important, why not give them proficiency or expertise in a charisma based skill? Why not give them expertise in a charisma based skill? Hmm. Okay. Um, Like, why not use this race to create, like, a face character, an uber face character without having to play the bard? Like, maybe that's a feature that this race enables the player character. So, like, innate charm, you have proficiency in persuasion. Proficiency or expertise. What's expertise? Expertise is an, a, a, an extra amount of bonus. <laughs> God, weird. This is hilarious. I mean, I like this and I don't like this, but all right. Expertise uh, in D&D 5E. Uh, let's see here. Expertise is a way of doubling the proficiency bonus. So if you, like for instance, um, in Baldur's Gate 3, <laughs> we hear... <laughs> don't hit your head come on 
In Baldur's Gate 3, when you play a bard, you have the opportunity to apply proficiency and expertise. Expertise comes later. You know, for a rogue, when you start out, you can give them proficiency and expertise in something. And I think if you were to give this race expertise, you could potentially allow for different multi-classing avenues, maybe. I'm again it. Okay. <laughs> Expertise allows you to double your proficiency bonus to a skill. So if you wanted to sneak with expertise, you make stealth dexterity checks. Say you have a 16 in dex and are level two. So your bonus is plus two. The roll would be 1d20 plus dex plus three plus proficiency times two for a total of plus seven. So think of it as proficiency times two. It's too much, man. Okay. Something else then. I mean, I just think the expertise, that's like a class feature. I don't think you pick up a class feature for what proficiency or expertise expertise let's see here I mean, you might be right i don't know let's see here i mean oh you know... yeah astral elves have sacred flame if they pick that as their cantrip so just the innate ability to call down the light of the heavens advantage on saving throws to avoid or in the charmed condition proficiency in perception and the ability to teleport 30 feet a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus. Yeah. And then the normal, you don't need sleep because you're an elf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah. That is crazy. That is a crazy lot of abilities for an astral elf. <laughs> I mean, rock gnomes have dark vision, gnome cunning, which is an advantage on intelligence, wisdom, and charisma saving throws against magic. Artificer's Lore, which whenever you make an intelligence history check related to magic items, alchemical objects, or technological devices, you can add twice your proficiency bonus instead of any proficiency bonus you normally apply. Ah, 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 fine. Expertise and persuasion. Just don't call it expertise. Call it twice your proficiency bonus. Okay. Um, let's see here. Man, I'm behind the times. I'm looking like Aaron I Elf here. You know one cantrip of your choice from the wizard spell list. Yeah. That's the default, man. Just give them a cantrip. You know what would be cool is to just mess with the rules. Like, this is how I would prefer to design abilities in 5e. As I would say, you can use summon familiar uh but the familiar only comes out for a certain amount of time and you it resets with a short rest that way you can have like a familiar no matter what that's the kind of bullshit i would do i have no idea if that works or if that's within the rules but that's the way my brain works is like how can i just break something that's already in the game whereas like you are the kind of like designer that wants to make things fit properly and be like, and have like a good flow to them where everything just makes sense. Would that be accurate? Well, I mean, I'm about to run a riffs game, but, uh, yeah, but riffs, riffs in the system, the system is designed for it to be batshit ridiculous and broken. 
Yeah, so it gives you, are, you permission to be broken. Yes. And D&D 5e is not giving you permission to break it. I mean, the book explicitly gives you permission to break it, but I yeah, but don't feel that don't. I can actually have that permission. The people so, who play it don't. The people who play Rifts know that game is broken. Yeah. Like, yeah. I... I've I watched a YouTube video with people who play riffs where they're like the best advice for a GM who wants to run a riffs game is to don't get lost in the rules. Just like make a decision and then look it up later. And if you were wrong, own it. And if you were right, you're right. Keep moving. Like don't like don't stop the fun. And that shows a self awareness about what that game is to be able to be like this is just broken bullshit. Just fucking make it work and keep the game moving. So here is my argument against just breaking it in 5e. <laughs> Nobody will play it. You need it. This is the thing I've learned in my job, and I'm gonna I'm gonna cringe at saying this. You need it to match the brand standard. That's that's true. Of the game. You need it to match the language and the style. So you can just break it but you need to tinker with the language when you break it so it sounds like something that people are used to reading this particular style of diction in this particular language. And if you just break it and do it in a way that's like sloppy, it's gonna just make things complicated and people aren't going to use it. Fair enough. And I'm looking at Dark Elf and I'm just like, Astral Elf's better. <laughs> <laughs> You could, oh, since they do say these, uh, like, so here's an example, like for the drow and the astral elf who magic power goes up as they level gain levels. When you reach third level, you can cast fairy fire spell once with this trait and regain the ability to do so when you finish a long rest. So that's the brand standard, mm -hmm. right? So here's, here's what I'm thinking. Uh, let me see what level spell this is. Because I want to add something then to our cantrip of Toll the Dead that fits with what we talked about. And this is where I feel like this gets fun for me because I'm just like, so what can we take from the mechanics that exist and match it to the crazy stuff we thought up uh, when we were talking about this in the last episode? Okay. And I spelled it wrong. Okay. This is a second level spell. Okay. Cool. At third level you gain the ability to cast the spell spiritual weapon. You can do this Perfect. because they can summon the swords, mm -hmm. right? Uh, or shields can be a spiritual shield. You can, you know, this ability re refreshes once per long rest. Mm -hmm. What about also, I love it. What about also giving them armor proficiency? No matter the class. I feel like it should be a shield proficiency, but I don't think shields require or proficiency with shields. That yeah, is... I don't know. Hold on. What you could also do is give them a feat for free. I think everybody gets a feat for free. No, now. but I mean like a very specific feat for mm. free. Okay. That's another thing you can do That to stay within the brand thing you said that one time yeah you just you just got to have the language match like no that it makes perfect sense i wasn't going to fight you on that uh so if you wanted to do the familiar thing you gain the ability to call a familiar 
um you know you could have at first level the familiar remains for two wrap two hours i don't know i mean you'd need to detail it um or you just get a familiar as being part of that race you know yeah why why time limit it it's not it's not like having a raven <laughs> like that hangs out with you is like super unbalancing anything um yeah proficiency with shields you gain proficiency with shields okay what does proficiency with shields do uh you can just use a shield now isn't there a rule that you need a specific spell focus item for if you're a caster and could we make it that the shield can count as your spell focus item isn't that a requirement for some classes is that you need a specific item as a spell focus item in order uh, to cast the spell the way it works is your spell focus can substitute for spell components that don't have a actual gold value man this is a gap what the hell does armor proficiency do <laughs> what happens if you wear armor without proficiency you can't cast your spells uh, let's see here. Shield master is a feat. You use shields not just for protection, but also for offense. You gain the following benefits when you are wielding a shield. If you take the attack action on your turn, you can use a bonus action to try to shove a creature within five feet of you with your shield. If you aren't incapacitated, you can add your shield AC bonus to any dexterity saving throw you make against a spell or other harmful effect. If you are subject to an effect that allows you to make a dexterity saving throw to take only half damage, you can use your reaction to take no damage. If you succeed on the saving throw, interposing your shield between yourself and the source of the effect. Is there a prerequisite for that? No, this feat is just called Shield Master and it's from the player's handbook. So I would say just give them Shield Master the feat. It's on page 170 of the player's hand handbook. Okay. Give them the Shield Master feat. That's better than just the proficiency with shields. Yeah. Yeah. Because then you can actually do shit with it. Yeah. All right. So we have a cantrip, we have a psychic resistance. And we have Shield Master. I'm thinking yep. one other maybe minor kind of thing. Like um if you wear armor that you lack proficiency with, you have disadvantage on any ability checks, saving throws, or attack rolls that involve strength or dexterity, and you can't cast spells. The shield will take care of this. We're fine. Yep. We don't need to put them in. We don't need to make them ridiculous so let's give them the cantrip and at third level they can do spiritual weapon once per long rest perfect cantrip spiritual weapon and that shield master feat yep plus psychic resistance and you're probably overpowered perfect 5e race <laughs> we did it guys Oof. 
it oh. only took us like whew, yeah i didn't so, think we i think we'd pull it off we we probably should have put this race in a game that we like <laughs> i'm kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding okay hey screen riffs you're gonna roll 3d6 or... <laughs> yeah. yeah your occ skills are right um, right you get four more attacks if you're you know. this uh this species has a point value point by cost of b in shadow run um <laughs> And uh, if you're playing old school essentials, just use Dwergar from the advanced book. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. Well, we did it. Is there Great. anything else that we wanted to add for this entry? Let's say this was an entry on D&D Beyond that we just wrote up. Uh, we'd probably want a cool name for why they, a cool d- name for why they get shield mastery. Bearers of the ancestral shields. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I dig it. I dig it. I think we. I think we nailed it. Bell ringer sword caller, is the the cantrip thing. Yeah, bell ringer sword caller. Almost makes me think we can do more with that, but we'll just leave it there. We have backgrounds to do, right? Uh, I think we got enough. Okay. <laughs> I mean background is basically like if you picked a background what's like a background ability that we would give them um they'd probably get like two tool proficiencies couple extra languages two skill proficiencies um I think they're familiar I think they gain proficiency in religion for like the in- inheritor uh gain proficiency in religion and mm-hmm. proficiency in um Oh, insight. Okay. And they can get like the alkalites pack or something. <laughs> like they're the more <laughs> priestly ones. Mm-hmm. Well, you got me convinced. And then blood sworn, you take some version of the folk heroes. The peasantry will put you up anywhere sort of thing. Um, Give them proficiency with uh, intimidation and nature. I don't know. Um, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Does anybody use backgrounds? Because they're actually pretty cool. Yeah. No, uh, I have. And my DM was really surprised. It, it was when I was playing with that local group down here for a while. And I was like, I'm a folk here. I'm like, okay, you're going to stop for the night. Is there a farm nearby? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll rock up. It's like, what do you do? I knock on the door. The farmer answers the door. He's like, I have the folk hero background. I'm like, I'm sorry to trouble you, brave sir, but I need a place to stay for the night. It's <laughs> like, what? I'm like, look, yeah, he's just going to let me stay here. <laughs> I can't feed me. <laughs> I can see my character background. I'm, I'm, I'm fucking Robin Hood. What do you, what do you want? I'm fucking Robin Hood. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. That reminds me of the next Takara game. I, I got to do that to to our, to our Master John and just be like, oh, yeah, no, there's a soldier here I served with. No, it's in my background. Soldier. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a guy here. And because of my rank, yeah. That's true. That's true. So true. Well, this was a lot of fun. 
even if it had to be 5e. <laughs> it would have been super easy if we had actually done it. <laughs> Sign nominate, but it's like... Yeah. Like... Look, as much as I love Kevin Crawford's work, um, more people recognize 5e. That was the obvious oh. decision. It's like, yeah. don't don't overthink it. Like, you know, more people will be able to relate to the frustration of the process of creating a race for D&D because there's so many websites out there that say, here's how to do it. And then they give you like really nothing to work with. So You know who doesn't give you nothing to work with? Who I don't doesn't know give you nothing races. to work with? But for creating monsters, uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say uh, the angry DM. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. He has yeah. this mini essay about creating monsters in Five E. It's how I understood. Oh the yeah, tables in that. the DMG. That's how I know the thing about like well, the most common types of damage you encounter are fire, cold, blah blah blah, and magic. Like if you gave somebody magic resistance, so anything that was magic, that would be insanely good um i think i mentioned it on a previous episode i used it to make like a werebat dude uh that could vomit a homunculi of himself made of blood that like had a shared hit point pool and so it would flap around and attack at the same time <laughs> while he fired crossbow bolts from a treetop wow yeah it was That's a good awesome. article man yeah, no, I, I, I've seen it. That's an oldie, though. Yeah, Lupo, the hand back. of whatever my big bad guy's name was. Can I just say, yeah. I don't know why, but I dislike BBEG. BBEG? What the hell yes. is that? The big bad evil guy. Is that a term? That is a term that is very popular in the social medias mm. for Dungeons & Dragons. Okay. Why? Why do you have such an aversion? I think it actually it? comes from Buffy or something. But... Well, I've never seen Buffy. Oh, why do I you have, have such an aversion to it? I don't know. I just like I don't like it. <laughs> it's the same reason I don't really like talking about things in terms of the MacGuffin, right? It's it's impersonal. It's reductive of your campaign's villain. And I think if you're going to trouble to make a uh, overarching campaign villain, you shouldn't be reductive of him because it's going to show up at the table that you just mm. think like, oh yeah, here's the big bad evil guy. Oh yeah, this is just, the, it's the MacGuffin. Yeah, like whatever. That's okay. just me. People are free to talk and play however they want. <laughs> I mean, I like it because I, I run, I the majority of the games I run are for people that just want to show up and drink beer and roll dice. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to put a lot of thought into the, they're not going to put anywhere close to as much thought as I did into my big bad evil guy. To them, it is a big bad evil guy. That's all they care about. There's the big bad evil guy. I hit it with my sword. You know? So if we had to invent a new acronym, what, what, what would it be, Jesse? What would you call it? We're going to make history right now in the John D. Mantis. Oh, okay. okay. It's going to be part of our gaming show lore. Is Jesse's replacement for Big Bad Evil Guy? It's going to go down in the annals of show history. Written on stone. Here it is. Final unknown cutting knave. Wow. 
Huh. Final unknown cutting knave. Huh. I think there's a hidden meaning here. Or the fuck. It's the fuck of the campaign. <laughs> <laughs> All right, people. Well, we had some fun today. Hey, everybody. Maddie here. We had some it's fun like today. It's like that Van Halen album, Fully Unlawful Carnal Knowledge. Yeah, that was very clever. Thank you. I mean, it did that on the spot. So, no, no, yeah. no. I'm impressed. Cunning knave is actually better than cutting. Well, yeah, listener, no, I... we had some fun today, didn't we? We did. We did. And if you have any ideas. What? I'm not the listener. I just answered. You... Oh, my God. What? That? Jesse, take us out. If you would like to contact us and keep it brief, you can reach us at the Wanty Mantis on Hex. You can reach us at the Jaunty Mantis on Threads. You can reach me at Jingoist Fest on X, Jingoist Fet. And uh, then we also have an email now, jauntymantis at gmail.com. We'd love to have your questions so we can do a future listener question grab bag episode. Thanks for listening. Get out there and play some fucking games or something. Yeah, get out there and write a useful website on how to create a 5e D&D race and then send me the link for it. Uh, don't make it a point by, please. Uh.